You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, Calvary family, it is so good to continue to share God's word with you. Super excited about being a person soon, but uh, as we continue to walk through the book of Philippians, we're going to talk today about practical contentment, practical contentment, which is important. And and in a sense, it's going to take a couple of verses here that'll probably help us to think about them more in context, right? So we'll take a look first and just kind of walk through. So let me read the passage first. It's Philippians chapter four, uh, beginning verses eight through 13. If you have a Bible, you can take it out and turn with me and we'll take a look at it together. It says this, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly at, the, at now at length that you have, uh, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, not that I'm, excuse me, not that I'm speaking in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we're going to talk about contentment. And contentment's not sitting in some lotus position and saying, um, or something like that. Um, things matter. It matters. And sometimes we're concerned about things and, and being content doesn't mean you're not striving to better yourself or to better your family situation or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, contentment is, but though the kind of the opposite of what we normally see and in a busy place like New York city in our lives, maybe contentment is not normally the practice or the posture that we see. And we have to learn to teach and to live in that contentment, right? Uh, think about, you know, a Barbie doll, right? Uh, single Barbie never seemed to get it enough. You know, never had enough, right? She needs Ken. She needs a house. She needs a convertible. So very early on, we learned that there's never enough, right? There's there's always this lack and this need for more. And sometimes that's in money. Sometimes that's in possession. Sometimes that's place in life. And it's the insatiable desire for more or different that distracts us from what we have fully in Christ, that insatiable desire for more or different that distracts us from all that we have in Christ. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at practical contentment, practical contentment from Philippians chapter four, verses eight through 13. Practical contentment is going to be our um, our focus. So that being said, let's take a look. Um, number one on our outline, a uh, life of contentment starts with our thoughts a life of contentment starts with our thoughts and the way we think is going to impact whether or not we are content. So let's look at the ways we might want to think that will help us to grow in contentment, right? Uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see this in the passage, right? So um, let's, let's take a look back specifically to the text. And in the text, it says this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things, right? So here's what we're seeing is, um, think about these things. It's telling us, it's reminding us that what you think on determines what you do. What you think on determines what you do. Now, meditating on these things, train your heart in contentment. Now, here's the tricky part. This passage is, I'm taking a bit of a block of passage here. And I debated this because you could do a whole message on this. You could actually go, you know, with just one message, you could be what's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, boom. But I, I think it's better to look at this in context of this is a block of passage that actually speaks of and speaks to that a life of contentment starts with your thoughts and what you're thinking on, thinking on what's true, honorable, just, pure. When you think on those things, what you think determines what you do, right? So this is a, a key thing that we see throughout the scriptures, right? Let's take a look. Um, but I, Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or in Philippians itself, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So over and over again, Paul's encouraging the church of Philippi, now commanding them not to worry, but to pray. But then he adds this thought here. These are imperatives, right? They're not suggestions. Think on these things. We'll see how later that Jesus gives us the strength and the ability to obey them. But let's look through some of them, right? It says what's true. In other words, that what in other words, what corresponds to reality? What is um, what is um, what is you know, as in, not what's trending today, but what's in scripture? What's honorable? Broad term means noble or respectable. What's just um, to what's fair to all parties involved? Think on those things. What's pure means purity in relation to God or holy. Uh, what's lovely? It's actually a rare word in the New Testament. You're referring for things that attract or please or win other people other people's um, appreciation and more. Uh, what's commendable, right? So it's something praiseworthy. What's excellent, right? Uh, here it's generally referring to morally excellent. Um, the the good for which every person should strive. Worthy of praise means worthy of praising God for. So thinking on these things, along with praise and thanksgiving, remember we look at that verses six and seven, along with praise and thanksgiving, well, if every believer in Jesus thought on these things daily, we'd be different Christians. We'd be a different kind of church, right? So it's this idea and this whole passage, why I'm trying to take this passage as a whole and hopefully fitting it in a reasonable time frame. this whole passage is built around the theme and the importance of contentment, the theme and the importance of contentment. We see it here. And that's not, this is not the only place in the New Testament that speaks to the importance of contentment. Take a look here in, uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. And um, it says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money, but it's the lack of contentment, right? Plus the love of money is a trap. Every research study shows 
that people that the richest people are the most unhappy people. And in order for us to change, we have to want to. There has to be a volition, a desire, a choice that we intentionally say, I want to live differently. God can use a heart like that. And it takes, it starts with our thoughts. Contentment starts with our thoughts. So uh, whether we have a lot or a little, walking in contentment. So if you have a little, you can have contentment. But if you have a lot, you can have contentment. But what happens is that lack of being content and a love of money creates a trap. And many people pursuing all that they want and all they have in New York City have fallen into that trap. So, right. So, so, so we see that a life of contentment begins with a clear understanding that for us, it's in our thought life. It's in our thought life. So let's look at number two on our outline because we need to keep the pace somewhat quick today because it's a long passage that I want us to, to walk through. So number two on our outline is, uh, is that a life of contentment serves others. A life of contentment and it serves others. Let's take a look. It says this, um, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern. I rejoice the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. So a contented life is teachable, right? Practice these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you, right? So so, so again, it's when we act, right? God's peace descends. When you're at peace, you relinquish control. You know you're trying to be in control when you're not at peace, right? So, so again, look at this passage here. Uh, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or set on you because he trusts in you. So there's a correlation between our practice of contentment and God's peace in our life. So a contented life is teachable. Practice these things, right? So a contented life is teachable. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I think that's such a powerful phrase. And for me, I need to be reminded to practice these things so I can walk in that grace that God has, right? So a contented life is teachable, but that's not all that we see here, right? Um, it, it goes on and it talks about how the peace of God works in our lives. Let's take a look. Uh, we look at the second part is a contented life looks externally, right? Where do we look? Well, this is actually right from the passage of Philippians, right? It's It looks externally. The Philippians had a concern beyond themselves for Paul, a financial concern, right? Situation was he was in jail. He was poor, yet he was rejoicing, not because of money, but because they were being generous. Paul's concern, they're generous people, which makes perfect sense because Paul said in Philippians 2, look here, let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also the interests of others, right? So have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, although he was in the form of God. You remember this. This is so, if you're walking with us through Philippians and you're new, this is a message we spent a lot of time in. And the pattern in Philippians 2, describing Jesus, who did not regard equality, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. So Paul reminds us to be looking out for others. Paul's secret of contentment, remember this whole section deals with coming to this contentment, is to turn the focus off of himself and onto others, redirect your concern from yourself and others. Contentment involves a rightfully placed concern 
for others. I love that. It's a rightfully placed concern for others. So, so talking more about this contentment and how this contentment plays out, right? We've looked, um, we look first at our thoughts, right? We've got a picture of how our thoughts relate to this. So number one on our outline, just to remind you as we're walking through the, the text, just little by little, a life of contentment starts with our thoughts. Number two on our outline, walking through the text, just little by little, a life of contentment serves others, right? You want to be a person in contentment? Not, don't make it about you. Make it about other people. Number three on our outline, a life of contentment stands above the circumstances. A life of contentment stands above the circumstances. Let's take a look. Um, It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is Paul writing of his own situation. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, he's obviously contrasting too. You can see it right there. Secret of facing plenty, I got lots, or hunger, I got little. Um, abundance and need. So here's the, that covers everybody, right? Um, everyone here either has a lot or a little. Everyone here either has is struggling or doing okay. So that's everybody. And Paul's point here is, and the point for us today is that contentment isn't situational. Let me let me say it again so you don't miss the, the term here, right? Contentment isn't situational. Oh, let me go back one. Contentment isn't situational. Uh, it, contentment is satisfactional, right? So uh, the content is, is the word, the key word, right? Content. It's actually a rare word in the Bible. It means self-reliant, but in this case, it's self-reliance because of God's faithfulness. So he's saying, coming to the reality that is circumstances that uh, through all of those, he doesn't need help because he has Christ. Uh, He doesn't need more to be content. He needs Christ who's made him content. He has contentment regardless of the circumstances, right? Um, Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. I think I quoted Chuck Swindoll a couple of times recently. He says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. Uh, he says, Chuck Swindoll says, we are in charge of our attitudes. Now, listen, I mean, our city's been hit hard, right? Uh, COVID, lockdowns, um, you know, maybe some little openings, even, you know, more or less. But but the reality is uh, it's hit people differently where they are economically. Um, we've seen people leave. We've seen people leave the city. We've seen people leave our church, right? And people wonder, what's the what's the future? Well, part of what how we'll embrace the future together is to do so as Christians walking in spiritual contentment, walking in spiritual contentment. So if we're going to walk in that spiritual contentment, we need to look to the scripture, see what the scripture teaches, and see the remarkable contrast. And this is one powerful place. You know, this is the joy of walking through a book of the Bible together, right? Because I want you not to miss this. Um, So Paul's talking about contentment in chapter 4, But in chapter three, he said he was not satisfied with his walk with God, but was continually looking to grow. Let's let's, let's look at it, right? Remember Philippians chapter three, verses 12 and through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Well, wait a second. I thought he was content. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So 
So here Paul says he's content in all circumstances in Philippians 4, but not satisfied where he is spiritually, but always content regardless of the circumstances. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Don't we do just the opposite? We can tend to be pretty content in our with our spiritual life, but never quite satisfied in our circumstances. We can learn from Paul that the opposite is the better way to do things, right? It's the it's the better path to do things, right? So, you know, you know, sometimes people talk about a secret sauce. Maybe you maybe you watch the Food Network and sh- shows like diners, drive-ins, and dives. But sometimes see the chef mention their secret sauce, or or maybe even McDonald's has the secret sauce, right? But in the, in the show, it's always a family secret. Well, Paul has this like Christian family secret for contentment, and it's his confidence in Christ's love and purpose for him. That's, that's Paul's secret sauce, and he's sharing it with us, right? It's not secret anymore, right? Everyone who opens the Bible can see it. It's not so much what we have, but who has us that brings contentment in life. Not so much who we have, what we have, excuse me, but who has us and the entire world around you is built on the idea. I mean, literally, we hear the phrase Madison Avenue. You can walk by it if you're going to church. Um, the whole world is trying to teach us to not be content, right? To, to think we don't have enough, to think we need we need more. And, and we, we have to be the ones who say, no, no, we can actually walk in that contentment. Because the alternative is, is quite contrary to the way of Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words, right? He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Now, I want to tell you this. I'm reading from Matthew. We're going to study Matthew next. We're super excited about this. We're going to study Matthew next. And 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 this is coming up. But l- listen to some of the words Jesus says. Who are you anxious? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, right? And yet Solomon. And, you know, it, and so it talks about how clothes and grass and, oh, it's just such a, oh, I can't, I can't wait till we get to Matthew, we're gonna we're gonna do this together. It's gonna be super. We're gonna finish up Philippians and and move into Matthew. And just to remind you, we'll actually do that. We're gonna, of course, gather in person um, in, uh, in 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 next week. We're gonna gather in person. And when we gather in person, I'm gonna I'm gonna begin to launch some of our Matthew series. I'm gonna start with, and I want to I want to encourage you to come out and join us in person because. Um, and I'm going to actually look at when it says from then on, Jesus began to preach something. And what was it that Jesus began to preach? And why is it so important? So I really want to encourage you. We're meeting safely. We're meeting carefully. Um, and 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 it's, a, it's an important day. So come gather with us. And also we're going to launch our Matthew series. Now you're saying, well, don't you got one more in Philippians? I do. But we're going to launch Matthew and then we'll get back to Philippians when we're online. So just come and be a part of what the Lord's doing. So all right, back to this. Right. So So here's the thing. We have to have this contentment because contentment is not a lack of desire for self-betterment. We want to grow. We want to move. Not always um, looking to get out of the situation, but looking to see how to make the most of where we are, right? But it's interesting. So Paul, like, contrasts these things. He sort of explains the nature of contentment. Um, the first and last things he mentioned speak to the physical needs. In the middle refers to food. It's, it's, so it's, it's even different in its expression. But he was, he was equally unimpacted. Paul in poverty and riches. And this is always the question people have. Well, what if I'm at my last and I have very little left? I'm not saying that we don't strive. And I'm, not, I'm also not saying that, that the Lord always uh, keeps every one of his children uh, from, from struggling financially. It doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. But he's learned that even in the midst of that to trust the Lord. And, and I don't know. You know, I've walked in the villages in Kumasi, uh, outside of uh, 
a place called Apatrapa outside of Kumasi in Ghana, West Africa. And, and I've walked in favelas in Brazil and I've met with some of the poorest people in the world who we were there to help and serve. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't care. We don't casually say, well, you know what, the poor, the poor doesn't matter. The poor will always be with us. Those are unhelpful things. We want to, we want to care. We want to share. We want to minister. And we also want to recognize that I've met some of the most content, godly people uh, in those settings. And they knew they knew that God had not forsaken them, even though they struggled financially. Because, because I mean, look look at this passage, Hebrews 13, 5, right? Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? So it's a love, moving from a love of money to a love of Jesus. And then you get to the place the writer of Hebrews talks about, where, it's, where, where, where the writer of Hebrews writes, um, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear um, what can man do to me, right? Contentment comes when our trust is not in our stuff, but in our Savior. Contentment comes when our trust is not in our stuff, but in our Savior, which leads to uh, the last and perhaps one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, right? So um, so let's take a look at it here. And, and I love this verse. So don't hear anything other than a deep love and appreciation for this verse, right? It says, uh, uh, number four, a life of contentment finds strength in God. And uh, here it is, right? Um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, here's the thing I want us to be clear on, right? So I was uh, working out. I was at the YMCA and um, I don't work out a lot. So don't think that that's like a regular thing. I work into every conversation, but this is related to this passage. And right in front of the weight bench, you know, where they, uh, what do you call it? the big clean and jerk? I guess it's called lift up. You know, you can tell maybe I mean, I need, I need a workout partner. So um, right there was a big sign that said, and this was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee at the time. So the YMCA is a little more robustly Christian. Big verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I just wondered how many people walked up to that and up their weight that they're going to lift based on that passage. Now, here's the thing. That's not what it means. Um, let me say it again. You really can't do anything because of this verse. Um, and there's actually a funny uh, cup that actually Todd uh, sent me, Todd, our chairman of Deacons, he sent me the picture of this cup, right? So I can do all things through a verse taken out of context is what, oh, I, the bottoms have gone there. But I can do all things through Christ from a verse taken out of context. So obviously, this verse is often taken out of context, but don't don't miss the beauty of the verse because of the misuse of the verse, right? The focus of the verse is not your ability to do anything. It's God's strength to handle all of your challenges, including your challenges of contentment, which may be financial, right? So people can take this out of context, like Paul is making some huge statement about anything you want to do as a Christian, you can do in this strength, but you I can't, I, I can't, you can't, and I can't do all things, right? I, I Listen, I can't read this verse and run a half marathon without uh, exercising or lift the weights that I couldn't do. It's it's about being content. Um, now, not you know, it is great. No, don't misunderstand. I, I think one of the things I, I, I can be uh, growing in an exercise, right? So this is, this could be a good thing. I could say, I want to grow in my, in my health, right? So, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Part being content in my life is facing the time and finding the space for that. But I, it's, it's being content with how God made me, where God placed me, with whom God, with whom God has placed me, right? That's some big things. It's bigger than fleeting circumstances. Contentment comes when we stop looking horizontally at other people and we look vertically at what God 
is doing. Uh, Paul Tripp, who's an author, a friend, um, he says this. He says, here, I'm just going to quote Paul Tripp. Uh, it says, here's what happens to us all. We seek, horizont uh, we seek horizontally for the personal rest that we are defined vertically, and it never works. Looking to others for your inner sense of well-being is pointless. First, you'll never be good enough, consistently enough, to get the regular praise of others that you are seeking. You're going to mess up. You're bound to disappoint. You're going to have a bad day. You'll lose your way. At some point, you uh, say or do things you shouldn't. And add this to the fact that people around you aren't typically interested in taking on the burden of being your personal messiah. So, he goes on to write, we remind ourselves every day not to search horizontally for what we have already been given vertically, that righteousness found in Christ alone. So here's the thing that Paul beautifully, beautifully puts before us, is that we can have contentment when we lean in on who we are in Christ. He understands he's not strong enough to be content on his own. He says, through him who strengthens me, he continually relies on God, right? Um, and this is the beauty of this passage, right? Um, you know, for, for us, the four steps to life contentment, right? Starts with your thoughts, serves others, stands above circumstances, finds strength in God. And I want to encourage you, I believe God's calling you and me to contentment in our lives, a beautiful sense of contentment in our lives. If you're rich, God has a plan to walk in contentment, to bless others, to continue to excel. If you're poor and struggling, God's got a plan. You can still have trust and confidence. He's not abandoning you. If you're short, God's got a plan. If you're unemployed, God's got a plan. If you're tall and employed, God's got a plan. Those aren't necessarily correlated. If you're struggling, God's got a plan. If you're sick, God still has a plan. If you're healthy, God has a plan. And resting in Christ is a key part of that plan for each and every one of us. So let's take a moment and let's pray that we might know that kind of practical contentment. Lord Jesus, we pray that you might remind us of what we see in the life of Paul, that we might walk in that kind of gospel contentment that makes all the difference. Lord, for those who don't know you, help us to know you and to be drawn to you even now. For those who struggle with contentment, I struggle with contentment. For all of us, we do at some point. Help us to remind ourselves of these verses that, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means in the good times and the bad, I can trust him and walk in contentment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.